Welcome to Rethink, the podcast that empowers you to challenge your existing beliefs and embrace new, more productive ways of thinking. Here at Rethink, we believe that the key to self-fulfillment lies in shattering old thought patterns and adopting new mindsets that support personal growth and empowerment. With expert guests and thought leaders from a wide range of fields, we explore strategies and insights that can help you achieve success and fulfillment in all areas of your life. From relationships to career, business ownership, and health, you are the source of your own success. We're just here to help you tap into your true potential and create a brighter future. So join us on the journey of personal growth and empowerment, and let's rethink what's possible for our lives. Do you know the basis and the origin of the Israeli and the Palestinian conflict? Well, if not, stick around. That's what we're discussing today on Things You Should Know. Here at Things You Should Know podcast, our focus varies from commonly asked questions like, What are the top email apps for iPhone users? Or how much does it cost to go to Disney World anyway? To the trending topics of the day, such as are taxes going up or down? And who's Elon Musk? We shed light on things you probably have always wondered about, but you never got around to investigating them yourself. This podcast brings you the answers to your most commonly asked questions and makes you smarter just by listening. Information empowers, and the more information you have, the better decisions you can make, and ultimately, your quality of life is based on the decisions you make. So, thanks for joining the discussion, and make sure that you subscribe today and not miss out on any future episodes of Things You Should Know. Welcome into the podcast, You've Reached Things You Should Know. And I'm your host, Kelly, and it's my pleasure to welcome you in this week, as I do every week. Uh, Great show planned for today. A lot of content, so I don't want to do too many preliminaries because I want to jump right into this content. What we're going to be talking about today is the relationship um, between the Israelis and the Palestinians. Why so much fighting? What's the origin of this? Uh, As an American, do we uh, do I know? Uh, why this conflict uh, persists, uh, the origins of it. I think if you ask most Americans, most of us don't know, quite honestly. Uh, if you ask most religious-based, uh, Christian-based folks, they will point you back to an Old Testament uh, scripture, uh, a story of Abraham and, uh, you know, Isaac and the, and the you know, the sons that were won by the handmaid, one by his wife, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, we're going to find out today that that may play a role. But quite honestly, there's some um, some very specific things that happen that have created this conflict. And we're going to talk about them today. And we're not pro anyone. So uh, I, I don't want you to think this is slanted in any direction. This is information only. 
And you're welcome, as I always tell you to do, is to go out and prove this right or wrong and to do your own research. I'm going to give you several articles that I went through. I'm going to also put them on our Facebook page. And speaking of which, why don't you head on over now and join our Facebook page and our Facebook group? Because this is where this information, along with all the other information for all of our other podcasts, will reside. And not only that, but that is the primary place for you and I to conversate, uh, ask questions, provide comments, even discuss and suggest uh, future show topics. So head on over to our Facebook page, Things You Should Know, and like and subscribe there. And don't forget, if you've not already done so, to please like, subscribe, and share our podcast link. This is the way we grow. Like, share, and subscribe. Okay? All right, so let's jump into the content for today. Uh, Again, we're going to be talking about the origins of the Israeli and the Palestinian conflict. If you've not been living under a rock, you know, in the last few days and weeks, there's been escalation in the area. And uh, here in the States, I guess this is the same all the way around the world. But here in the States, you we, we get, you know, bits and pieces of information And it depends on what channel you're listening to as to what sort of information you're actually getting, Uh, which is why we have to be diligent as it relates to what we're consuming. Uh, We must cross-reference and cross-check everything uh, that comes to us to check the validity. So what we're going to do today is provide you, number one, with the timeline. What happened? Like, how far does this conflict go back? What's the origin? Uh, So let's start in the 1920s. Okay, this is around World War One. Britain takes control of this region. Okay, the region is then known as Palestine. This was after the Ottoman Empire is defeated in World War One. So, okay, Britain takes control of this area. The area is known as Palestine. At the time, the land is inhibited primarily by Arabs. There is a Jewish presence, but it's a small minority. There's no conflict. Okay, British owned. 1920s to 1940s, British begins to establish what's called a national home for Jews in the region, as more and more Jews begin to flee persecution in Europe. Of course, uh, we understand uh, why Jews are fleeing in terms of persecution. Uh, Because more Jews are coming into the region, this creates tension between the two groups, the Palestinians and the Jews. The area uh, is seen as an ancestral home. This leads back to the Bible uh, to both Jews and Arabs. Both groups claim the right to the land. Now, after World War II, more Jews flee to the region. Uh, Violence between the groups grows and British rule leaves. Okay, so from 1920, Britain was there to 1940s where they left. And now we see a large influx of Jews into the region. And again, the region was originally known as Palestine It's primarily Uh, Palestinian or Arab people. Uh, Let's jump up to 1947. 1947, the UN, the United Nations, votes for Palestine to be split into two separate states, a Jewish state and a Arab state. 
with Jerusalem becoming the international city. That sort of sounds to me like a capital, almost something they would share. Uh, the move is accepted by the Jews, but it is rejected by the Palestinians. The Arabs said, no, thank you. In 1948, they were unable to solve the problem and British rule uh, departs. So British Brit, Britain is no longer rule of the region. Uh, the state of Israel uh, is created by Jewish leaders. So you take what was then Palestine and now you're calling it Israel. Okay, so the Jews created the state of Israel. Palestinians object to the creation of Israel and a war breaks out. Well, okay, that actually sounds logical. You come into a place. It is known as Palestine. Um, I understand why Jews fled to that area. I understand, I think, what Britain was trying to do. Uh, but to change the name of the area. Yeah, I could see why they would get a little upset. Um, neighboring Arab countries also form a coalition with the Palestinian uh, factions there because all of that area, you've got to know that's in the Middle East, all of that area for the most part is Arab. So hundreds of thousands of Palestinians flee uh, and they're forced out of their homes uh, in what they're calling a catastrophe. So in other words, the area that now has, is being called Israel by the Jews used to be Palestine. And so when Jews took over the uh, Palestinians, the Arabs had to leave. And so they have taken exception to that. 1949, uh, fighting ends in a ceasefire. Israel controls most of that territory now. Uh, Jordan occupies uh, land which became known as the West Bank. And Egypt occupied Gaza. We've heard many times the Gaza Strip. So Jerusalem is divided now into uh, Israeli forces, which are in the west, and Jordanian forces, which are in the east. Those are Arab forces also. There is no peace agreement and there are tensions. 1967, let's go forward. There's a six-day war. It begins with Israeli warplanes striking Egyptian airfields and Israeli ground forces entering into the Sinai Peninsula, which is in the area. So Jordan joins the fighting alongside Egypt, but Israeli forces have the upper hand, and then they take control of the Gaza Strip, Sinai, the West Bank, the Golan Heights, and predominantly Arab East Jerusalem. So let's summarize. We went from a minority of Jews uh, in that area to now a majority. And not only uh, were the two states split, but now it seems that the Jews now have the majority of that, of that land and hundreds of thousands of Palestinians again have to flee or they're being displaced uh, as the uh, Jews and Israel begin to spread in terms of their occupancy. Okay. Um, all right. So, uh, 1973, let's keep going. 1973, a coalition of Arab nations. This was led by Egypt and Syria. They launched a surprise attack, what's called a surprise attack on Israel. And the Arab forces initially gained ground, but they're driven back by Israeli counter defense and the supplies that they were being given by the United States. That's where it gets interesting to me because you say, how does a small group 
of people who were fleeing for their lives all of a sudden become military, so um, strong uh, in the military, and they're able to displace a group of people who've existed in this region for so long. Well, they have an ally. Well, they have allies, but they certainly have a large ally, and that's the United States. And we're going to talk about in a few minutes why exactly is the United States such a big proponent of Israel? Why uh, does that uh, exist? How does that relationship start? Uh, Because quite honestly, I think that's one of the reasons why Israel is so successful, especially when it comes to military, because uh, one of the articles that I read that's also going to be on our Facebook page to the tune of three billion dollars a year is aid coming from the U.S. to Israel economically, militarily, three billion a year for years, for years, according to this article. Let's take a quick break. Hey, I'm going to get you back to that episode really quick. I know you're enjoying the podcast. I wanted to say thank you, break in really quick to say thank you so much for supporting the podcast. Three things really quickly. Number one, thank you for listening. Number two, please go down in the show notes. We have a new um, way to communicate, and it is through text. So we'd love to hear from you guys. So please send us a text message when you're done listening to this episode. We'd love to know what your thoughts are. And then lastly, please go into our digital store. We've got a lot of digital products there that can help you be supported throughout these content deliveries throughout the podcast. There are ways for you to download these worksheets and eBooks and different things that can help really solidify some of the content that we talk about here on Rethink Podcast. Thank you guys so much, and I'll get you back to your episode. Excuse me. According to this article, there's been more than $118 billion given in aid to Israel from the U.S. Um, I can't remember the start date, but it could be back in the 70s up until year to date. Okay. So just put your finger there. We're going to come back to that note and uh, give you a couple more uh, notable things about the U.S. and Israeli relationship. So 1978, uh, there's a peace deal between Egyptian president then uh, Amwar Sadat and Israeli Prime Minister uh, Mikhem Benjamin, known as the Camp David Accords, is brokered in September of uh, September 17th by then President Jimmy Carter. Now, potential Palestinian peace proposals are discussed, but they're never really carried out. And if you know anything about President Carter's administration, um, you realize that the hostage situation in Lebanon uh, really uh, was, uh, I think, what kind of took him down. And he spent majority of his presidency dealing with that, or at least it seems to me. I don't want to say that so matter of factly because I don't have the facts on that. And I was a kid. I was um, I was in elementary school. I just remember it being on the news every day. We may uh, dig into that a little deeper on a different podcast. But be that as it may, uh, let's move to 1987 uh, Palestinian uprising again, or what they call an Antifada, Antifada. It erupts, bringing clashes and protests in the West Bank and the Gaza Strip and in Israel. This unrest is uh, goes on for years, for years. 
with both sides losing many lives. Let's jump up to 1993. There's a pact, the first of two pacts. The first one's known as the Oslo Accords. It's signed between Israel and the Palestinian Liberation Organization. And you've heard of this group. It's the PLO. That's what that stands for. Many times we'll hear uh, uh, PLO and different symbols like that. We don't really know what they mean. PLO is the Palestinian Liberation Organization. Um, although this was signed, there were many issues left unresolved. Key issues such as Israeli settlements in the West Bank and the status of Jerusalem, which is viewed by the Palestinians as the capital of any future state, meaning peace was still not achieved. So they're fighting over this land and the land means has a significant meaning for both groups. Okay. Both groups have what they consider rights to this, to this land. Uh, and they're willing to fight and have been fighting for years over uh, what this land means to them and to their heritage. So let's go to the year 2000. Another Palestinian Antifada begins after a visit by right wing Israeli political figure Ariel Sharon to a compound in Jerusalem venerated in Judaism, Christianity and Islam. Clashes and violence continue up and until 2005. That's five years. Hundreds are dead on both sides. Jump over to 2006. The Palestinian militant group Hamas. Hamas, you've heard that term, wins elections in Gaza. They win elections in Gaza, leading to political strains. Uh, they're more moderate uh, Fatah party controlling the West Bank. So when I hear terms like Hamas, Shiite, Shiite Muslim and these not I'm saying these things are the same thing. But when I hear terms that I keep hearing reporters repeat or, or, or writers keep repeating. If you don't know what these terms mean, please look them up because there's some significance there. So let's talk about Hamas just for a second. What is Hamas? Hamas is H-A-M-A-S. It is a uh, Palestinian Sunni Islamic fundamentalist and yet pragmatic militant organization. It has a social service wing called the Dawah, D-A-W-A-H, and a military wing that is Adem Akasim Brigades. I'm sorry, I know I mispronounced that. So Hamas is uh, on the Palestinian, you know, uh, side of things, but it appears to be a more moderate Palestinian uh, representation or organization, if you will. It was founded in 1987 and um, it's an offshoot of the Egyptian Muslim Brotherhood, which in its Gaza branch had previously been non-confrontational towards Israel and other hostile um, or and also didn't be wasn't hostile towards the PLO. OK, so they're not known to be hostile, at least not according to this information that I'm reading here. All right, let's jump back on the timeline. 2008, Israel begins three weeks of attacks on the Gaza Strip after rocket brigades in Israel by Palestinian militants. These Palestinian militants were supplied by Egyptians, by Egypt. More than 1,100 Palestinians were killed in these attacks and 13 Israelis were killed. Jump over to 2012. 
Uh, Israel kills Hamas military chief Ahmed Jabari, Jabari, triggering more than a week of rocket fire from Gaza and Israel airstrikes. Again, 150 Palestinians killed, six Israelis killed. Let's jump over to 2014. Hamas militants killed three Israeli teenagers. They were kidnapped, according to this, near a Jewish settlement in the West Banks. And this, of course, prompted an Israeli military response. Seven week conflict as a result, a seven week conflict. It leads to more deaths. Twenty two hundred Palestinians dead in the Gaza Strip. Sixty seven soldiers from Israel and six civilians were also killed. 2017. Trump administration recognizes Jerusalem as the capital of Israel and announces that it plans to shift the U.S. embassy from Tel Aviv, steering outrage from Palestinians. And of course, it, 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 it would do that. All right. So let's jump over to 2018. 2018, there are protests that are taking place in the Gaza Strip along the fence with Israel. This includes demonstrators who are throwing rocks and gasoline and bombs and different things across the border. So as a result, there is a um, response from the Israel military and 170 protesters are killed over the span of about seven months or several months. All right, let's jump up to 2021, which is where we are today. Tensions rise in Jerusalem during Ramadan, which is a holy uh, celebration in that region. Tensions are rising with Palestinians saying Israeli police impose unnecessarily harsh restrictions on them during the month, uh, their month of fasting. Israeli policing of Palestinians leads to the use of CS gas and stun grenades inside Al-Hashig Mosque. This is a holy site for both Muslims and Jews. Palestinians are threatened with eviction from their homes in Shkish Jarrah. This is a Palestinian neighborhood outside the walls of the old city with land and property claimed by Jewish settlers, as well as groups inside the Israeli courts. Hamas issues an ultimatum to Israel to remove its forces from the Al-Ashik compound and from Sheikh Jarrah and fires rockets at Jerusalem, which, of course, is met with resistance by Israel. The fighting began. And today is May the 18th, May uh, 17th, I'm sorry. And the, the fighting continues. And this is the recent most recent outbreak. Now, I don't want to uh, come across as trying to s simplify what seems to be a very long and tenured and historical uh, conflict between these two groups. But if this read like a book and someone was to ask me to summarize uh, what I've just read, I would say this in terms of why this conflict persists. Uh, the origin, the origin is why it persists. Uh, any group of people who are being displaced 
from where they considered their homeland to be, I think will contest that. Okay. Even given what I would assume was honorable um, on Britain's part in terms of trying to help create a, a place for displaced Jews who are being prosecuted in Europe. Okay. Um, now you have two groups of people who claim ownership to the same land. And in addition to that, uh, they have different allies. And in addition to that, they have different or, or therefore they have different resources and capabilities. And on top of all of that, they share, but have different religiosity. That's calls for conflict. That's calls for conflict. Um, I want to be very careful because I'm respectful of people's uh, uh, ability and right to to um, to their religion. But I will say this, that uh, when people are fighting religious types of warfare, it, it, it seems to be. Uh, of a greater magnitude. Let me just put it plainly. There are no greater. Um, if you if you go back to the Dark Ages, there are no greater wars that were fought outside of those that have been fought in the name of a God, where people feel justified uh, for for doing uh, certain things. And my point in bringing that up is, uh, both of these groups feel justified. I, I, obviously. They both feel justified uh, to to be owners of this land, albeit as small of a territory as it is. It holds significant uh, meaning for both of these groups. And I guess to some degree, you could think that they were being asked to share. You know, that's what these peace accords are are looking like to me. And I'm just an observer. Listen, form your own opinion. I'm just telling you what, what, what I think about what we just went over. Now, let's talk about this. I already sort of brought it up. How does a small group of Jews who are running for their lives all of a sudden become a military power? How are they able to displace uh, people who've been in the region for years? The Palestinians were the majority and they were being backed by the other Arab countries. How did uh, the Jews now Israel how were they able to do what they did? Okay. And I'm being facetious because we know the answer is, has to do with the allies. And one particular ally is the U S the United States supports Israel. And up until lately, um, I've not really known, or I should say, I presupposed I knew why. Okay. I presupposed that Israel was, um, being persecuted and the, the allies were coming to Israel's defense, not knowing the entirety of the story from the Palestinian standpoint or what we just went over in terms of the ownership of the land, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. I only knew a part of the story and having only part information, it was reasonable uh, that we would support a group that seemed to be at the time, a smaller group comparatively speaking to the other folks in the region. I hope that makes sense. Now I want to dig into actual facts and not my presupposition. Uh, many of us make assumptions or we hear things in beauty salons, barbershops or 
on the news and we make assumptions about the rest of the story without digging into the details. One of the things I wanted to know, why does the U.S. support Israel and not the Palestinians? Why have they always supported Israel? And it almost is like a blind, like a blind love. You know, it's like one of these deals like because uh, Israel has been in the wrong several times in terms of some things that they've done that that have not gone down well with the U.N. and these different peace treaties. OK. And who knows what's taking place in an area. Imagine if if, for example, you were a Palestinian and you lived in this place and now uh, you've had to move out of your homeland, out of your home and you keep getting pushed back further and further back. And not only are you getting pushed back, but the people who are telling you what to do and, and policing you are now the people who actually have have taken over your what you consider your homeland. That's got to be a difficult situation for the Palestinians. OK, so um, let's look at it from this standpoint. Let's just talk fast. This next article I'm going to kind of delve into. I'm going to put it on the Facebook page. It's very detailed, and I'm going to suggest that you read it in its entirety. I'm only going to pull out a few things. I'm not going to um, make it heavy one way or the other. I'm only going to show what the facts are, and then you can kind of dig into it a little deeper. So uh, this is by the Institute for Policy Studies, all right, ips-dc.org. And it basically gives a background on the history of the conflict, which we already went through. But it talks specifically about why the U.S. supports Israel. So the first thing it says in the U.S. and around the world, many are questioning why, despite some mild rebukes, Washington has maintained its large scale military, financial and diplomatic support for the Israeli occupation in the face of unprecedented violations of international law and human rights standards by Israeli occupation forces. Now, this article uh, was written by a gentleman named Stephen Zooms, Stephen Zooms. Um, So let's just kind of jump into it. Institute of Policy Studies, strategic reasons. I'm not going to get into his dialogue and, and some of the things that he's saying, although some of what he says matches our timeline. Uh, I'm just going to get into strategic reasons for continuing support of the U.S. So uh, both sides of the aisle here in the U.S., Democrats and Republicans, seem to support Israel. OK, if nothing else, these uh, politicians of ours seem to agree on. They seem to agree on supporting Israel. So why? Why? Number one, a strategic reason could be Israel has successfully prevented victories by radical nationalist movements in Lebanon and Jordan, as well as in Palestine. So in other words, it fits the the mold of leadership the U.S. would like to see in that region. Number two, Israel has kept Syria for many years an ally of the Soviet Union in check. Number three. Israel's air force is predominant throughout the region. So I work in an arena and I'll be as vague as possible where um, supporting our national and international rather allies is sometimes part of uh, part of my job. And so what many Americans don't realize that means 
because I don't know why we hear things and we read things or we just don't follow through and we just don't get to the detail of what something actually means from its actual application standpoint. So, for example, many people uh, in my or in, 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 in my group, grouping, my arena, my social group are African-American. I'm just giving you an example. And let's say that the numbers say this year, every year it gets worse, it seems. Let's say the numbers say this year that uh, 50% of African-American men over a certain age um, have diabetes, okay, type 2 diabetes. And let's say the numbers also say that of those groups, 75% of them will have a cardiac event, which will lead to an end of life event. Okay. So those are the numbers. It's been studied over the last 10 years. If you're in this group, you have a high propensity of having diabetes. Okay. And if you have diabetes, then the chances are you have a strong chance of this ending your life because of it. All right. So those are the numbers. Those are the facts. Now, when we sit down to eat, however, we never consider that from plate to mouth, we are affecting if we have diabetes or not, if we have a cardiac event or not. We don't put the two things together, the report and the food that goes in our bodies. And there's a disconnect. We get those reports every year. Doctors can tell us they can have it on Good Morning America for, for days on end. But for some reason, we don't connect the dots that your uh, the things that you put in your body uh, will actually affect your body. So in this case, when we're talking about foreign aid and when we're talking about foreign defense, we're literally talking about America providing other countries with money. And yes, weapons. Many people don't realize that uh, soldiers from other countries come here to train. The U.S. trains them. Why? Because it is a benefit for the U.S. to make sure that people can properly operate the weapons we're giving them and they can defend themselves in certain areas of the world. Uh, I don't want to say on our behalf, but to our interest. Everyone in the world doesn't get aid from the U.S. Everyone in the world doesn't get weapons and support from the U.S. And to have uh, the largest economy on the earth supporting you, you can grow relatively quickly. You can become a you can be small one day, but very large or seemingly large the next day. And that's what's happened with Israel. And again, I am not taking anyone's side. I'm only telling you what's taking place. You can figure out for yourself how that makes you feel. Now, another possible reason, strategic reason that the U.S. supports Israel is that Israel's frequent wars have provided battlefield testing for American arms, often against Soviet weapons. It wasn't something I was familiar with. I don't even know if that's true or not. Um, it's also served as a conduit for U.S. arms to regimes and movements too unpopular in the U.S. for openly granting direct military assistance, such as apartheid in South Africa, the Islamic Republic in Iran, the military junta in Guantanamo, and the Nicaraguan Contras. 
Israeli military advisors have assisted the Contras, the Salvadoran Junta, and the foreign occupation forces in Nambia and Western Sahara. This is according to the Institute for Policy Studies. Israel's intelligence service has assisted the U.S. in gathering intelligence and doing covert operations in the region. Okay. Also, Israel has missiles capable of reaching as far as the former uh, former Soviet Union. It possesses a nuclear arsenal of hundreds of weapons, and it has cooperated with the U.S. military industrial complex with research and development for new jet fighters and anti-missile defense systems. Um, he, let's, let's put this in plain math, okay? This is according to Institute of Policy Studies, and that all that makes sense. And if you are the U.S. or any other country and you can position yourself to be stronger around the world, that's what countries do. And that's what the U.S. has been very good at doing. And Israel is not the only country that we do it with. It's not the only country. So if these are right or wrong, you're going to have to investigate, figure out for yourself. I'm only giving you the information. Um, is How does that make you feel? Um, is, is it justifiable that, you know what, we're just going to blindly support these group of people because they're going to do what we need them to do if, when, if and when the time comes. Uh, it's a good military strategy. It's, it's a good foreign uh, policy strategy to have a, um, uh, an ally in that region because the region can be, the region has been seen, and I, and I don't know how many people around the world listening to this. We get uh, listeners in Europe. We get listeners in South America and different places. So your media may be feeding you different than what the media here in the U.S. But I will tell you, most people in the U.S., well, I shouldn't say that. I'm just going to tell you how I have felt listening to media in the U.S. When you hear certain types of language, particularly around the Middle East. And this got really, really dense during the Bush era. When people would begin to talk about the Middle East, it was normally always negative, always hostile, always dangerous, and always unpredictable. And I know there's got to be good people in the Middle East, but there wasn't the message that was sent to us. It was always a group that we need to be able to defend ourselves from. They should never have military, you know, military power or nuclear weapons and these sorts of things. OK, that's the message that we got here in the U.S., or at least that's how I took it. Now, um, I kind of kind of got off base. I'm just I'm not rambling, but I, I didn't mean to go as far as I did. But here's here's the deal. Here's the deal. So here's what we've learned today. Why don't we do it that way? Here's what we've learned today. We've learned the history of this conflict. If you didn't know it, now you do. We've learned the history of this conflict all the way back from 1920 up until year to date. While they're currently fighting now, uh, you know about the land and you know about Britain, you know about uh, the support of the U.S., which is why Israel is as strong as they are now. And they've been able to maintain control in that region because they have very strong allies, in particular, the United States. And you've also heard some plausible reasons of why the U.S. may be maintaining such a devout friendship uh, and, and have become such a devout ally of the Israelis. So 
this is where we are. Now, when you have this conversation, you can speak intelligently when when it comes up. I just wanted to bring these facts to your attention because that's what we do here. Things you should know. Now is your time. Take this information. First, determine how does it make you feel? Does it make you feel warm and fuzzy? You know, uh, or does it make you feel like, hey, I just need to do a little bit more research because I just don't understand why. I don't understand why. And I hope it's the latter of the two. I hope you would do more research. I hope you will read a little bit more and be open. And when you hear these reports coming to you now, be sensitive to both sides. And just know at the end of the day, here's the saddest part about this. At the end of the day, uh, these people are, are, are dying over land that no one can possess anyway. But they have a such a strong tie to it. And God bless them. I get what they're saying. Uh, but it's 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 land. And so many people are dying and their children and women and 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 men. And it's just uh, seems to me uh, that there should be some sort of resolution uh, that would that would aid both groups. Uh, but I don't know. Uh, it's been so many years and so much deep history here. I, I hope uh, that we um, are smart enough uh, soon enough to save as many lives as we possibly can. That's how I'm going to end it today. I appreciate you guys for hanging out with me. I do hope you've learned something. I do hope you've learned something. Uh, this one was pretty detailed to research because I wanted to get get it right. I didn't want to come across slanted. I didn't want to give you bits and pieces of information. I provided to you as much as I possibly could. And it's going to all be for your reading pleasure on our Facebook page. So come back to things you should know in a few days. Check us out. We'll have some new content up. And until then, have a good one. That's all for today's episode of Rethink. We hope that you've enjoyed this exploration of new ideas and perspectives and found valuable insights and strategies that you can apply to your life. Remember, you are the source of your own success and fulfillment. And by embracing new ways of thinking, you can unlock your true potential and yes, create the life that you truly desire. Now, if you've enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to support the podcast by sharing it with your friends, your family members, your loved ones and associates, and even your followers on social media. Also, leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Lastly, don't forget to check out our show notes for free downloads and empowering ebooks that can help you on your journey of personal growth and empowerment. Thanks, guys, for tuning in. We look forward to exploring more ideas and insights with you in the next episode of Rethink.